Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Scott. Hey, yo. Is that his younger brother? It's gonna be Jeff. The cream rise to the top for you. And you're listening to all of the great action figures from our good friends at Hasbro. The fully postable. Have your own WrestleMania with all your favorite figures. Wrestling figure. He told separately from LJN. Podcast. And we are the Mount Rushmore of professional <laughs> wrestling. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to Telephone. I am your host, Jeff. I am bringing you more phone calls from your fig lifers today. I'm hoping the show will take your mind off of things going on right now, and you get to listen to some fun stories from two fig lifers coming up this episode. So, let's call our first fig lifer. Hello. What is going on, Jeff? How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Former host of Not Your Mama Soap Opera and current host of Crossroads. How you doing, man? Good. How's it going? How's uh, you know, life treating you now in this new new world? Uh, it's definitely interesting. It's uh, it's been interesting out here to say the least. But how's everything out there? Yeah, it's been very interesting myself, but I've been spending a lot of time and finding a lot of comfort actually collecting and just um really appreciating my collection while stuck inside. Oh, are you purchasing anything or have you purchased anything recently? Uh, you know, I've been trying to, um, I went back and bought a bone crutching Owen Hart after the, uh, dark side of the ring episode. Mm -hmm. And I pre-ordered the fiend. So that's still coming on its way. I haven't really been able to go obviously to stores hunting that often, Um, but it's been nice really just having the time to actually like rearrange the collection and put it into more of a, you know, just a different way to display it. I think it's really, you know, it's something that's like really underrated that you to really just like take time to see what you have. I know in previous episodes, you and Scott had mentioned, you know, that you guys can open a museum with just the amount of stuff that you have. And it's like, when you really like, Look and curate. I say this all the time to my uncle, who's a big uh, 12-inch GI Joe and uh, six-scale figure collector. Um, that you know, if you have so much stuff, it's great. It's like to really just intake and uh, really just uh, you know, really just appreciate all the stuff that we actually do have. So that's what I've been able to do during this uh, quarantine. I'm gonna have your uncle and Scott talk. Scott has been on such a huge GI Joe kick lately that yeah he's I I didn't even know where this all came from but apparently from what he said he just it brings him back to the 80s where he's just sitting there playing with his GI Joes so but it, more it power, creeped up on you yeah exactly more power to him man I mean if that's what is making him happy right now more power to him so but have you come across anything that you had forgotten you purchased um so actually I thought i had purchased the surfer sting i think it's elite 63 mm-hmm. and i realized that i hadn't actually purchased it um so in my collection what i usually do is i'm primarily a loose collector but for certain figures i'll go back and i'll buy their other versions and keep those versions mints on card and i thought that was the case for sting but and actually looking around especially after his legends figure was uh discontinued you know looking around i was like wait a minute i don't have that one so 
So I went back and I got um, the Elite 63. And I also went back and picked up the, it's the WrestleMania 35 box, but it was for the Undertaker figure that comes with the jacket and the hat Mm -hmm. from the previous WrestleMania. So those are two uh, pieces that I was happy to add. So how much were how much was the Elite sixty three Sting? Um, it wasn't that bad. It was actually only forty dollars. Then I paid forty three with tax and everything included. Okay, okay. I love that figure, and I saw it. Unfortunately, I saw it everywhere. But to me, that's an underrated figure. Yeah, I mean, I, the fact that you got the big gold belt in it too, in mm-hmm. addition to the jacket and all the, de- like all the decorations and all the face paint, and just it really shows that you know they tried to you know, get all their Sting figures out while they can. And it's really, you know, like you were, like you said, an underrated figure. Um, you know, I didn't have so much luck with the Undertaker figure because I, you know, rolled the dice and I ordered it from Amazon and the box just came destroyed. Oh. But it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so how is your collecting going? Is it, Are you collecting anything else outside of wrestling figures? So I've been an actual collector really my whole life. Um, my earliest memories include collecting Batman figures when I was a really uh, young child. And just whether it's Star Wars or Power Rangers or wrestling figures, I've really always been a collector. I'm currently, you know, at least during the uh, pandemic and such, I was uh, looking for a Mandalorian Black Series. I was able to get my hands on one. Um, but other than that, there hasn't really been much that I've been after. Um, I started, you know, looking at my old collections. I had a really large uh, DC Universe classic collections. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all sculpted by the uh, Four Horsemen who currently do the uh, the Mythic Legions line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like revisited that, and but nothing really. Um, we'll see. I was able to go back and purchase a Power Rangers zord morpher from my childhood so that was pretty cool the bandai one yes it was the ban- the zeo one the red ranger when he it's a figure and he morphs into his phoenix zord it's really just a head flipper and he has a backpack that has wings attached to it but it's a pretty uh i don't know it's really one of those nostalgic figures and i was looking on ebay actually the other day for the small soldiers brick bazooka figure Mm-hmm. Um, which was a favorite of mine growing up. His head literally flipped into a giant bazooka. Uh, gotta love the 90s. <laughs> How was the uh, prices on Power Rangers nowadays? Uh, because I got this loose, it wasn't terrible. They ha- there's never been many of this particular figure. I've been looking for it for a while, and I, it's rare that you find one um, mint on card. You do see a lot of the blue and green versions but not a lot of the red um you know power ranger stuff the the new line by hasbo is is really terrific if if you like power ranger stuff um and you know they they're just bringing you so finally a six inch detailed you know figured line of it and it's done well and it's done in scale um on i kind of have like a hasbro shelf at least current hasbro shelf so i have black series figures i let the lightning collection power ranger figures and the few marvel legends that i have up here and they're they're all just in scale and i know that it's no it's kind of it's overdone and i am in agreement that i think that that scale is overdone 
particularly for me in Star Wars figures, mm -hmm. the Black Series collection is growing so large, but they're not necessarily, it's not even distribution problems or anything like that, but it's just older figures are skyrocketing in value mm -hmm. and they keep on making more figures. So it's like, I don't know, there's no way that you can ever really go back and create a full collection unless you have like an unlimited budget, uh, which is not the case. So I've been <laughs> like, hmm, do I start? So I dip in the well of hot toys and start very slowly. I know they have like different options in terms of like acquiring collections and, but even then it's still a black hole of collecting that I'm not sure if I want to go in yet. Yeah. Some of those older lines, except starting lineups, man, you can pick up some starting lineups for dirt cheap. I was, uh, I was looking at a Jim Kelly starting lineup and I think it was from 91, 90. And man, it was only like, seven bucks <laughs> i was like well i'm gonna click and buy that right now because <laughs> it's so cheap to go back and collect those unless you are collecting chicago bull stuff yes that's definitely true and the you know the last dance i think really spiked you know people's interest in um you know starting lineups and in particular michael jordan figures um i remember growing up my cousin had a 12 inch space jam michael jordan action figure with the the toon squad jersey and i used to think it was the coolest thing and, that, <laughs> and it got me thinking about do you remember when uh mcfarlane did that sports run and i never really collected them but being in new york my one new york team that i've always uh, had a lot of pride in supporting is obviously the yankees and i've always been tempted to go back and create like almost my yankee all-star lineup and now i don't know now it's getting me uh you know i don't know i feel like maybe i might might look more into that you should, man. And now's the time to do it, especially while they're cheap, because you never know when that page is going to flip, when oh, yeah. figures are just going to skyrocket. So if you if you want to go back and get some Jeters, you want to go back and get Mattingly, whoever it may be, now's the time to do it. In fact, what's pretty cool is starting lineup, well, I shouldn't say it was Kenner, because it, it wasn't Kenner, but stadiums were doing stadium giveaways for starting lineups. And there's a yeah. there's a Gary Sanchez out there. And I've thought about picking it up for Scott because it was only like 12 bucks. And so I was thinking about yeah. picking it up for Scott because Scott's a diehard Yankee fan. It's just kind of cool seeing those old starting lineups. Are they the greatest? No, not really. But right now they're affordable. So why not? Absolutely. You know, and um, the starting lineups, I remember I had a Jordan one growing up. It was like, I believe it was a retirement one that I still have, still have in the box. I've been trying to hunt that down but they're definitely nostalgic and it's definitely for me it was almost like a 3d printed baseball card in the sense that similar to an ljn but they're stuck in that pose mm -hmm. but it's representative of what you would see if they were on you know any form of trading card or anything mm -hmm. you know like that and it's usually that iconic pose it's whether it's you know someone hitting a home run or getting that you know Super Bowl cash, whatever it might be, it's very similar to Hogan being able to do an elbow, uh, an elbow drop or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. The McFarlane ones are cool, too. I mean, McFarlane crushed it on his sports lines. Unfortunately, they didn't move as well. They, there was a hotbed form in about 2005, 2006, because he was doing a lot of variants, a lot of um, Brady no helmet, Brady dirty jersey. Mm -hmm. You know, he was doing a lot of variants, and people were hunting those variants down. But I don't know. The bottom just fell out on those. And I would say at about 2008, 2009, like a lot of people just were like, okay, I'm done collecting all these 
variants, I'm going to just stick to my regional guys. So I'm going to pick up a, for us Giants fans out here, uh, maybe a Lincecum or whoever it may be. So McFarland did a great job. And there's also a lot of Yankees for you to go and collect, especially for you Yankee fans out there. Oh, yeah, there definitely is. And um, there also, I remember, it reminded me a lot of the Jackson and the Mattel uh, Stone Colds with all the belts, but they did a LeBron James that had, I believe it was the, the the year that he won the second time with the Bulls, but they included like all his titles, all his trophies, and just all his different little accoutrements. And it was just like so many different accessories that you would come with a basketball action figure. It's just so it, it really is a unique, um, you know, line. I remember, uh, especially uh, being younger, and they had I'm not, I forget the company, but it was the it was a Ken Griffey Jr. action figure, but you put almost like armor and like knight armor on him. And there was like a, one from each sports league. I can't remember what it was, but it was just like this like really interesting like concept. And um, that's why, you know, I think I've always loved uh, collecting and being able to make your own collections is because you can have that creativity that if you saw something in the ring, that you didn't want, you can recreate it in your own collection and it can go the way you want. So let's jump back to wrestling figures. Absolutely. When did you start collecting? So I started collecting in 98. Um, I was in first grade and um, the famous, at least my famous story is, I really wanted a cane action figure. Okay. I didn't realize that Goldust and Kane were in fact two different people. I was, you know, <laughs> six. And uh-huh. I thought, like the green and the white ranger, well, that's just his other suit. You know, that makes sense. <laughs> okay. So I got a Goldust action figure, not knowing any different. Um, but still to this day, uh, I'm a tremendous supporter of Dustin Rhodes and uh the whole Rhodes family. So, you know, if I didn't think Dustin was Kane, who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really collect any of the classics, um, for no other reason other than my Toys R Us has never really had them. Um, and at that time, that's when I was collecting a lot of other figures, including, uh, Marvel's Toy Biz Run Mm -hmm. and always different things. Um, I really became a, like hardcore more so wrestling collector back in 2011 um after the summer of punk i remember hunting at four or five toys r us's when there were that many toys r us's mm-hmm. and finding the wrestlemania 28 uh building out build a uh who was that um alberto del rio's announcer rodrigo uh, uh yeah I believe. R- ricardo R- ricardo, yeah, ricardo, ricardo yep yeah and that cm punk figure was my first elite and then slowly but surely uh just been kind of building you know my mattel collection and being able to uh what i love about the mattel collection especially for collectors and for new collectors or for people who don't necessarily love wrestling you kind of get a you know good landscape as to like the wrestling product if you look at just different lines i remember even um, like the Bruno San Martino figure, just those throwback classic lines that my cousin, whom now uh, basically I 
uh, and the reason why he enjoys wrestling. And he's uh, turning 14, so he's born and bred in the PGR of wrestling. But it's been great to see him interact with my Road Warriors figures or <laughs> my Ricky Steamboat figure, being like, oh, who's that? Who's that? And wanting to use them in video games and just like this multi generational facet that, you know, action figures allows you know, people to really interact with. Mm-hmm. Does he understand who the wrestlers were? Does he understand who, how big the road warriors were? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I was able to take him to a live event, at the garden, mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. He, he's from Ohio, but, um, when he came in, you know, it was just the summer heat wave tour and we had to go check it out. And, you know, it's wrestling is such a spectacle. Um, even, you know, I would had, the pleasure of hanging out with Scott at Survivor Series from the Staples Center in 2018. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just such a, it, it's very akin to, you know, just anything that's impressionable when you view it, whether it's your favorite movie or your favorite concert or just seeing one of those major sports moments, it creates that instant connection. Mm-hmm. And that was very much the case for my cousin because even randomly he'll, Ask me all the time, like, well, when's wrestling on? When's wrestling on? If he's in town, he knows, like, all right, well, I'm with Jeff. We're going to watch wrestling. And <laughs> it's almost this, you know, this thing that he's like, oh, well, it's cool. It's a cool thing to do. And I don't know. I feel like as a wrestling fan, uh, wrestling fans not, and, and an action figure collector, too, that those haven't always necessarily been the cool things to do. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, it's a interesting positions to be able to say you know what doesn't matter if you want to go buy cedric alexander figure do it if you wanted to hunt for the you know the maverick afterwards that was oh that was one thing that i did i'm sure you remember when there was a bunch of layoffs um in wwe and furloughs because of the pandemic and i went back and i picked up and the ec3 elite the drake maverick basic a -hmm. couple of others just to make sure that i had a representation of them in my collection. You know what's special about wrestling is that it brings people together. It, it is, So, like, I could go next door and my buddy next door is a baseball fan. So he's a baseball fan. So it that's cool. But if we were wrestling fans, it, we would have this even closer bond. And it seems like wrestling brings a lot of people together and a lot of people also seem to resonate r- regarding the action figures that also is like another special bond on top of that so that's what i love about wrestling because no other sport or sports entertainment has that type of thing yeah no that's really true you know the the coolest thing you know for me as a collector and as a wrestling fan and also as a comic book fan is you get to see real life superheroes and i know wrestling's been described as this so many times but when and, and it, this goes to the fact that when you meet these superstars as well, they're in gimmick, they're in character, at least often. And <laughs> if you want to meet anybody, they're going to be that person. In particular, when uh, Matt Hardy was broken, Matt Hardy, I met him and Jeff at I believe that was an Eternal Con, mm-hmm. and Jeff Hardy was you know regular you know Jeff Hardy, but Matt was still in character, and it just goes to show the level of care that these individuals go in order to bring these characters to life. And it, for me, I've always just really appreciated 
that craft and that and like those skills that go beyond the ring itself and then it's like not only do you get to see the ultimate warrior you know really just take over the ring and his entrance to any match but oh there's a toy of him Mm -hmm. it's like he's you could and you can see you know in particular i think of Rey mysterio one of my favorite figures was his um, entrance moment with the big Phoenix headdress. And you can just see that so many characters were almost designed in a way to become toys. Mm-hmm. And with that, you know, frame of reference in mind, that's why I can't wait to get the Fiend figure because the instant I saw Bray, uh, you know, debut as the Fiend, I'm like, oh, you know, that's, becoming an action figure it's just a matter of when and you know it's great to see those you know those moments it's meant to be an action figure or i should say the fiend that is is meant to be an action figure just like luchasaurus luchasaurus is meant to be an action figure when you walk down that figure aisle and you look to the left and you see this big luchasaurus figure you're gonna be like what is that because that that makes your eyes gravitate to it it's just like what is that i need to know about that it's like scott and the jimmy snooker figure we've told that story because many times but that's what it those action figures do is catch your eye and you're 100 percent correct about that fiend it is made to be an action figure and a lot of these guys are especially when they come out with their costumes for wrestlemania when they get all dolled up yeah i mean you know for me you know i know you guys have said and scott has said that he prefers you know when his figures are in their ring gear and for me it was always the opposite i much prefer for my wrestling figures to be in their entrance gear because it makes them more differentiated and when you see a bunch of figures lined up and they're all in tights or they're all in trunks for me, you know, when I see the the Dudley boys, you know, with their glasses on and with Roddy Roddy Piper, you know, in his kilt or even Triple H. I love all of Triple H's figures because they all usually include his WrestleMania gear that you're able to remove. Mm-hmm. And it's just a great thing to be able to see all the layers that, um, you know, really go into each one of these figures. And for me, when you have the entrance gear on them, they stand out. You know, when you have a Rick Rude elite in his red standing next to the Honky Tonk Man from the Retrofest in his blue, there's they contrast and hit off one another similarly, you know, to superhero costumes. But this way, it's in such a new fashion that's really, you know, I don't know, it's one of the many reasons why I love collecting. Mm-hmm. Did you ever set up like a figure fed or did you ever do anything special like that? Um, so what I did was I actually had this federation of all my figures together that I used to call the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, th- I always had a champ, but it was always basically just like my favorite figure at the time. Mm-hmm. And it would change from figure to figure. A lot of times it was that red power ranger that I was talking about for a while. It was this one venom figure, but there was always wrestling figures in the, in the the brotherhood or the federation and it was always i always looked for cane figures i had a lot of bone crunching action figures because that was just a lot in the 90s um the gold dust like i shared that story i also had the stone cold steve austin i had a rock um you know for me i just missed the hasbros i'm a little too young for the hasbros Mm -hmm. and um but even now, my primary collection is my wrestling collection. And so that's, you know, what I'm going hunting for, whether it's, uh, you know, 
pre-pandemic and just going on hunts or even now when you're limited to sneak off when you're going for essentials. Have you ever considered going back and look at purchasing the Hasbros or the LJNs or the even the Remcos? So I have. Um, I have a Hogan LJN that I bought loose. Mm-hmm. And the Hasbros, I've been looking at loose ones, but just being a stickler for condition and other things um, of that sort, I have noticed that you know, they definitely have gone up in value mm-hmm. um, really across the board. And um, I don't know. I like there's some figures that even like the newer Mattels that I seen flooding shelves at one point are now, you know, up in value again. And I don't know what the reason is. Nobody knows. I mean, this. Yeah, it just seems out of nowhere. It, all this came out of nowhere. Like you just said, man, it's. It's baffling to see figures that, like the Sting Elite 63, mm-hmm. that that was sitting on our Walmart's pegs for, I'd say, about a good month, and now it's 40 bucks, so it's doubled? Yeah. Like, okay, what is it that's causing this? A lot of people have theories, and I love hearing the conversations that are going on around it. I've seen it on Facebook. I've seen it on Twitter. seen it on the FIGS message boards. I mean, it's all over the place. A lot of people are talking about it, and a lot of people have theories of what it is. But whatever it may be, it's just hard to believe that a figure that, like you just said, was sitting on the pegs for a month or two is now worth whatever it may be, 60 bucks. Yeah, and I mean, even before that, um, you know, out here in the, the New York, Long Island area, you know, there are a lot of collectors. There's always been a lot of collectors. One of my favorite um, action figure lines, which actually is a big reason why I was uh, really looking forward to collecting Mattel figures, was the Dark Knight Movie Masters collection line back from 2008. Mm-hmm. And I remember that in line in particular, it was right after Heath Ledger passed away. And it was the first really uh, 112th scale Joker figure that was being mass produced. And you couldn't find it anywhere and then it wound up being i think it was re-released once more time but then you found up just seeing it in uh clearance you know bins and all of a sudden this line didn't really have any value um and i don't know you know it's just one of those you know i never really understood why figures you know are not distributed evenly or even if they're not distributed evenly like easily like how come there's not a way that, you know, collectors can communicate with Mattel or the other or Hasbro or whomever in a way that, you know, can ensure that they get them? I understand, like, the their variants in terms of, like, the, the one that comes to mind is the uh, Murphy, um, especially with the different colored tights. Like, I understand those variants, and I can see why those could be more challenging to get or the one in 500 and the limited releases. Mm -hmm. But for the Mads produced line, like I remember there's some lines that would never even show up in stores. You Mm -hmm. never see it, Mm -hmm. not even. And it didn't matter when you went to the store. Mm -hmm. So it it always baffled me. Nobody knows what that is. Target and Walmart put the blame on Mattel. Mattel puts the blame on Walmart. Yeah. And you know, the crazy thing is too, you know, when you walk into these stores and it's no fault, you know, to the stores at all, but the big box stores are not your local comic shop. So they don't necessarily see the inherent value in the product. And it makes it frustrating because where you would get a certain level of 
you know, attention if you were buying, you know, a television or a home appliance or other, you know, big ticket item. You don't necessarily have that level when you're buying action figures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it, you, you definitely see, you know, a, a but it's almost like a misrepresentation, but it's at the same time, it's like, well, where, what is like, how would you solve, you know, that problem? And the distribution problems, it's always, you know, I've seen it, but for me, I used to spend a lot of time in Florida. My family used to have a house down in Southern Florida mm -hmm. and the targets, uh, you, you would always be fully stocked no matter what. Whereas New York, they would never be. And I never understood why, but it became a running joke that every time we went to Florida, we had to go to Target. I miss the days of Jackson. I know I'm sounding old and I'm dating myself, but <laughs> I mean, you remember when you would walk into KB and in a whole oh, yeah. aisle of just wrestling figures. Here's the Jax Classics. Here's Off the Ropes. Here's Ruthless Aggression. Here's Deluxe Aggression. Here's three packs, two packs. It was just all over the place and it was fantastic. Now you walk in and you got a couple basics and you're like, oh, well, that was fun yeah. while it lasted. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really the thing, you know, and I was just about to bring up KB Toys because I used to love, um, you know, KBs. And I remember a point where there were two KBs in the same mall and you would, you know, that they were both getting figures in, but you would have to, you know, it was almost like a game, which store, depending on which end of the mall, would get them in first. <laughs> and, um... But the thing was, you know, I even remember a time, like I said, when there were four or five Toys R Uses, and it wasn't a matter of question of if you were going to find something. It was just when mm -hmm. you were going to find something. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, it's so crazy to me is that, you know, you see some stores will be flooded with current figures or stuck on other ones. And it, it just the luck. It's, you know, it, it's, it's almost the luck of the draw, but it's like you don't even know the rules to the game there's no um you know restocking schedule there's no limit per you know what you can buy it's really just the wild wild west of collecting out there um and i've definitely seen an increase in the wrestling figures in particular but i personally think that's believe i used to have two targets in my same town and they were kind of on the opposite edges of the town. And I really think one of them shut. And I think because one of them shut, rather than adjusting their numbers to really reflecting, okay, there was a target here that just shut down, they just kept the other target at its same kind of stock numbers. So now they're getting the stock that is only for one target, which really should be for like two targets. I don't know. That's just my conspiracy theory <laughs> so let's go back to wrestlers that you have met you have met quite a few who else aside from the hardys have you met so i have met a few um in terms of like notable wrestlers i met um hogan hall and nash on their nwo gear mm -hmm. down at hogan's beat shop um mm -hmm. that was last or two octobers ago that was too sweet pun intended <laughs> um yeah, but uh, I met John Cena, I met CM Punk, I met Roman Reigns, I met Becky Lynch, um, real, I met Finn Balor. Um, I really, you know, had the opportunity to meet so many um, superstars, and I highly recommend it. I've met Cody Rhodes, I met Jericho. Uh, I actually was able to meet Jericho at a Fozzie concert, too, uh, which was a really incredible experience. Um, but... You know, the thing is for me when meeting superstars is 
it lets you like it's like you know you have your like your mark out moment but then you're like oh wait you know they're, they're just like me mm-hmm. um in particular for when i met roman reigns meeting roman reigns was you know an incredible moment i'm um, definitely uh, one of the top superstars i've met and along with cm punk um i remember i was very anxious to meet cm punk because i've heard that he didn't like signing wwe things and I was having him sign my belt, and you know, I was like, "What if he doesn't want to talk?" And whatever. But he was just an incredible, uh, you know, person. He mm-hmm. validated everything that I thought meeting CM Punk would be like. And so that's really, you know, my message always, and I always preach it is: when you have an opportunity to meet your favorite superstars, meet them. Mm-hmm. Did you did you get to ask Punk anything, or did was it just a quick sign and go? So for CM Punk, it was a quick signing for the professional picture. I also paid for the um, selfie option. Mm-hmm. So I got a little bit more time with him. Uh, I We were talking about tattoo stuff. I asked him how he enjoyed writing for the Drax comic book as well as he wrote for Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he was he was happy about those. Uh, questions I think to be non-wrestling but one thing that you know he really appreciated was you know I asked him I said you know do you mind signing my belt and he said well do you want me to make it out to anybody and I said yeah absolutely I said I want you to make it out to Jeff you're my favorite superstar this isn't being sold this isn't going anywhere and he really appreciated um, that sentiment and he uh, took the time to you know make it out to me and just really um made it a really special moment that he didn't have to. Oh, that's cool, man. So why don't you talk about the Roman Reigns signing? You said that was one of your top favorite signings of all time. Yeah, it it really was. Um, You know, Roman Reigns, to me, um, as controversial as he is, he's he's, uh, continually one of my favorite superstars, um, particularly because of how he deals with pressure and adversity and really being in um, the spotlight. I was at the Raw in Atlanta, when he made his uh, remission promo. Um, so when I was able to, uh, you know, meet Roman Reigns, he, you know, it was when he was in recovery, he wasn't supposed to really be interacting with anybody. And we shared some personal stories. Um, I showed him, you know, a couple things and just, you know, kind of really have like a heart to heart moment. And he just gave me a bro hug. And I was just like, well, you're not even supposed to be like interacting with people and never the mind you know, this many people and interacting and it just really cemented, you know, everything that I thought similar to punk of Roman Reigns, which is he is this, you know, this larger than life person, which was really great to see. That's awesome. So why don't you go into your Crossroads podcast that you do? Yeah. So the Crossroads is a podcast with me and my good friend, uh, Dusty Dave. And the Crossroads is about it's a wrestling show that he's a big Killer Cross fan. I'm a big Cody Rhodes fan. And it is a show, a topical wrestling show, where he picks his favorite wrestling topic of the week. I pick my favorite wrestling topic of the week. And we break it down. We comment on it. It's very similar to Not Your Mama Soap Opera in the lens that I bring to it. But it's a completely new uh, project. It's really just uh, positive wrestling for you know for everybody and just a little positivity um, you know, when, you know, everything that's going on today, we just wanted to create a space that was a safe escape for everyone. I really enjoyed your not so mama or your 
not your mama's soap opera podcast because I love the way you delved into people's characters. Like the, I think the first one was CM Punk and you kind of yeah. went, you went over how, what made people gravitate to him? What was it that hooked us? And I loved how you delved into people's characters. I thought that was fantastic. It was something unique because I mean, anyone can do just a wrestling podcast. But when you come up with something unique such as that, I thought that was fantastic. And I I told you a few times, I applaud you for that. Thank you. Yeah, um, Not Your Mama Soap Opera was definitely a passion project of mine. And I, I'm working on ways to release my back catalog for people to um, give to listen. But it was a really cool way for me to, you know, showcase the entertainment side of professional wrestling. Um, you know, we mentioned it before, you know, there's, you always kind of get those people who are like, we still watch wrestling. And <laughs> yes. for me, you know, my constant, you know, argument was like, do you watch Game of Thrones? Do you watch Dexter? Do you watch this? Do you watch that? You know, do you watch any of these shows? And even reality shows, they're all scripted. They're all, they all have producers. They're all different forms of entertainment. It's just, this is my form of entertainment. And I wanted to elevate wrestling to a sense that when you talk about wrestling, don't talk about it like you're watching, you know, a fake or scripted or predetermined fight. Talk about it like you're watching any other TV show, any other movie, anything that you would view as entertainment. Mm-hmm. That you're 100% correct. And that it has that stigma. Oh, it's quote unquote fake fighting. Well, you also have to look at it that these people only have one chance to do this acrobatic move ricochet only has one chance right. to do such move whatever it may be will osprey same thing one time to do this one move it, it's just so unique that these guys not only are playing characters but they're going out and i hate to say this but they're going out and doing their stunts and they only have one take to do it well well yeah that's you know that's the thing and that's why you know i really appreciated the boneyard match um from this past wrestlemania because you were able to see the full cinematic you know, power behind the WWE and to give you a performance that, you know, you didn't know Undertaker was in any pain. You didn't know anything of those little, you know, things that you might have seen in a normal ring or even otherwise because they were able to really just turn it all the way up and give you that full cinematic experience. And even and that's the art of it, though. That's the believability. For me, it's always if you are watching a fight and you react to anything at all, they're doing their job because they're getting you to suspend your disbelief and focus on the match for that very moment. Mm-hmm. You're 100% correct. And they're making you believe. They're making you... T- yeah. They can make you take your mind off of, oh, this is fake. Even for a little bit, they did their job. If you get sucked into a match, they did their job. Even if you're like, oh, this is this is fake, blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, that was cool. Well, they did their job to make a non-believer a believer for that split second. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's really what it is. And, you know, there are countless, you know, moments that, um, you know, you're watching wrestling and, you know, you're, you know, you're taken back by the moment that, you know, you're witnessing. I was able to attend the first AEW Dynamite taping in uh, Washington, D.C., and it was just so cool to be a part of that history and just really see, you know, something, you know, that momentous take place. Mm-hmm. And wrestling, I think, at the end of the day, is a community. 
And that's why, for me especially, I can't wait to get to a day when we can have fans safely again. And fans play such, you know, a large role mm-hmm. in a, you know, in a wrestling show and just being able to to interact and have a live crowd react to what's going on in the ring and then react back. It's a communication and a conversation that's taking place for the viewers at home. Mm-hmm. And I think people are realizing how important fans are now. I mean, I don't ever want to hear anybody complain about a stupid chant or anything ever again. We miss the fans. That's what it is. And we miss being at the shows, period. That's what it is. is yeah. We miss that live entertainment. Yeah, you know, that that's really what it is. And, you know, wrestling is, you know, my escape. Um, growing up, collecting action figures was always my escape. So wrestling action figures, is, it's almost like a Hannah Montana best of both worlds type thing. Because <laughs> I was able to have, you know, the escape from figures and wrestling all, you know, really all in one. Yep. Jeff, I want to thank you for being on. Why don't you plug your Crossroads podcast? Thank you, Jeff. You can follow the Crossroads at T-H-E-K-R-O-S-S-R-H-O-D-E-S, spelt like Carrying Cross and the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. If you want to follow me, you could do so on Twitter at Long Island 1892. I'm still jealous that Scott got to meet you down in Los Angeles. You and I had just gotten back to the hotel when you landed. Yeah. I want to say it was like what 12:15 at night, 12:30, actually in the morning. I think so. Yeah, um, you know, fun fact about that show was I was supposed to fly to meet Hogan when I met him. Mm-hmm. And long story short, TSA basically uh they screwed up, and because they screwed up, I missed my flight. Uh, Spirit gave me a voucher that I had to use uh, for like non-holiday weekends and had to be domestic. And I said, well, Survivor Series is in Los Angeles. Let's go. And it was literally <laughs> just this last-minute, 36-hour you know, dash to California. Um, but it was an incredible time, and it was you know, right you know, during the midst of the Becky hype and Mm -hmm. uh ronda rousey's big well for one of her first bouts with charlotte and it was just a really cool time and you know seeing scott was uh was definitely a highlight of it and i just remember leading up to that i was like all right i'm seeing one of you at some point (laughs) when i'm in california (laughs) (laughs) that's funny man because i had gotten back to the room and you would text me or message me and you're like hey you want to go out and i'm like Oh my God, we just got back in and we're just like crashing right now because it had been a long day. We had been up since 6.15 after a five, like after a five hour, we slept for five hours because we drove down the night before, got to the Undertaker signing at like Mm 7am, had to rush over to the Staples Center for NXT. Then we went over to uh, Chico's Tacos uh, for a little mini meetup, but it wasn't, it was a little mini one. But anyways, (laughs) (laughs) we, uh by the time we got back to the hotel, it was like 12, 15 and 12, 30. You're like, Hey, you want to meet up? And I'm like, man, I got to go to bed. I am beat. We got to go. We got to leave and go home tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, that was the crazy thing, you know, um, WrestleMania being in New York, you know, or well, New Jersey technically last year, our schedules was so crazy. So I was like, all right, we're both going to Tampa. It's finally going to happen. The Jeffs are going <laughs> to, interact and it's going to be great. And then I was like, all right, that's just what I need. It was the, was the pandemic to hit, but, um, you know, I'm just very excited. Like, like we said, to get back to that, you know, whether it's that next mania that, you know, that really big hard feel and really, uh, you know, make more memories like big meetups and just meetups in general and just being a part of that larger 
you know, wrestling community and big life family. hundred percent. Jeff, thank you again for being on man. Much appreciated. Absolutely. No, it was really my pleasure. Um, you know, the, the wrestling figure, the fully posable wrestling figure podcast was one of the first podcasts that I actually listened to. Fun fact. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, so I was looking, I, I literally, I remember this. Um, I literally Googled on Apple. I said wrestling figures because I was like, there has to be a show. And mm-hmm. I, it was around like episode 19 or something like that. Um, <laughs> and you know, I quickly went back and listened. I was like, there's no way that this show exists. And it was just such a cool thing to really play a part in the community that uh, you and Scott built. I'm even wearing my uh, Hasbro Series 2 shirt, the cardback shirt, uh, you know, all drew by Jason Wolf that I was had the uh, pleasure of being a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, it's just been you know, a wonderful um, experience, you know, being a part of the, the Fig Life family and always, uh, you know, having that, you know, people to talk figures with, you know, it's one of those, you know, greatest uh, experiences I have as a collector. So thank you and Scott tremendously for everything that you've uh, contributed and built. Well, the Fig Life family loves having you a part of it, man. We really, really do. Jeff, thank you again. And we'll be talking. Absolutely. You be good. All right. You too, man. Later, brother. Bye. Want to thank Jeff Palmacchio for being on. Again, check out his Crossroads podcast. Very unique. I love it. He also had Not Your Mama Soap Opera, which was a fun, fun podcast. Now, I think we need to get our next Fig Lifer on. Hello. Is this famed author Erin Quinn? This is her. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. How are you doing? I'm good, Jeff. How's it going? It's going well. I've been loving our discussion about 93 WCW lately. That's what this call is about, right? Yeah. Was there anything else that we were going to talk about? No. So I just, um, I actually just discovered my Holy Grail match. Which is? Um, it is what is on record as the last United States Tag Team title match ever, which was Dirty Dick Slater and the Barbarian, uh-huh. classic tag team, <laughs> versus Brian Pillman and Tom Zink. Oh, wait, didn't Pillman and Zink hold those U.S. titles? They did, but back in 90. Yes. But apparently they tagged. One last time. Ah, okay. One last run at that gold. Before it became uh, Tom Zink and Johnny Gunn. A classic. Oh, so good. <laughs> so how's everything going over there? Um, It's going really good. Um, I don't know what outside is anymore. <laughs> right? But... <laughs> I've been in that same uh, boat over here. It's so uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, Talus book. Oh, sure. Yes, thanks. I- I'll be happy to plug anything. Please do. So my life is a- an amalgamation of geek fandoms. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's wrestling. We know that. Um, but I'm also in the furry community. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Talus is a-, a story with that kind of motif. Oh, okay. Um, a political drama featuring animal characters 
And when did you write it? Talis took 10 years. Um, so I started it sometime in my early 20s. Oh, okay. And I finished it when I was much older. I wrote about half of it, and then I lost a draft of it and had to start from scratch at one point. And it was published, it will be, I think it is uh, four years ago as of this year. Oh, that's so awesome to hear. When you put your mind to something I, like that, even after you lose the opening draft and you still complete it, that's got to be like a huge sigh of relief. It was an intense labor of love, but more um, on the labor side, to be honest. <laughs> and I have not wanted to tackle a project that big since then. <laughs> um, but it, it was really cool. It was really cool. And I'm happy with uh, people who bought it and enjoyed it. And it's, it is still um, available for sale. Mm -hmm. If you Google Tailless and Aaron Quinn with two N's, it's pretty easy to find. The Amazon link and my publisher's link are the first two things that pop up. So if you like animal people and you like drama and melodrama, go ahead and throw a few bucks that way. Do it. Everybody needs to go. Thanks for the ad read. No, no problem. I've got you. Don't worry about it. I've got to go back. When did your love of wrestling start? What was the first thing that you gravitated to? I think it was the winter or the fall of 1989. Okay. I was uh, seven years old. And the first thing I remember was flipping the channels. And I distinctly recall Brutus Beefcake throwing <laughs> a clothesline. And I was like, what? What did, what did that man just do? He just knocked that other man down. What a, what a form of defense. What is this? <laughs> and I, I was instantly hooked. I'm like, what? Fighting on TV is a cool. And it was a very slippery slope from there. Yeah, I remember watching like the, the go-home show, essentially, for WrestleMania VI. Mm -hmm. um, I remember really thinking power and glory was cool. Um, very smarky at a young age. So that's where it started. It's so simple. And to think if it was anything else Beefcake was doing at the time, I may not have ever been hooked. Would the sleeper hold have captivated you? Oh, the great what if questions of our generation. <laughs> I mean... Maybe. Now, did you immediately find WCW after that, or were you just strictly WWF? You knew that at this time, this on this channel, on Saturdays, wrestling was going to be on. Or did you happen to know that there was other wrestling on, too? No, I remember, like, I think I just got into this mode of, like, checking, like, all the time. Because, you know, you have the whole weekend, and I feel like I wasn't one of those kids. I never, like, uh, slept in uh, a lot. I'd be up, and my parents on... Uh, Friday night would be their go out to the bar drink at night. Mm -hmm. And so they would drop me and my sister off at my grandma's. And I was uh, much older than my sister, so I would just get the TV. And I'd just flip channels. And um, I grew up in Iowa, mm -hmm. which is neither... It's not a heavy one promotion or another. Um, I mean, in the 80s, you could have made a case even for AWA. Mm -hmm. as like our little promotion. So uh, we got, we had TBS, we had USA. I remember WCW Power Hour came on um, Friday nights, like really late at night. And then it would replay again at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. Yeah. And that's probably the first WCW program I saw. And the first 
big show that I remember was the Clash of Champions 10, which I think was January or February of 1990. And that's the show where Sting tore his ACL. Who did he face that night? He didn't, he didn't fight anyone. He had won the Iron Man tournament and Starcade 90, mm-hmm. um, 89. And I guess that had guaranteed him a title shot because he had beat Ric Flair in the finals. Mm-hmm. But Sting was already in the Horseman at this time. And that was the night that Ole Anderson gave him the, we don't challenge Ric Flair around here. That's talk. right. That's right. And, and they turned on Sting. Yep, And that was the first big WCW angle that I ever saw. And then that night he tried to get into the cage and that's where he blew out his knee. That's right. Um, from there, I was like a Sting fan for life. I'm like, he's going to come back and he's going to get his revenge on the horseman. And he's got <laughs> Robocop. <laughs> it's funny, too, because you think back to that first major angle where the wrestler turned on another wrestler. For us, it was Orndorff turning on Hogan. So that was big to us. It was like, why did Orndorff just turn on his friend? You know, we don't understand this. So I can imagine what you were thinking when the horseman turned on Sting. I didn't even really have that much of a reference. Like, I was like, okay, this horseman group, they seem like shady characters. Oh, they are. (laughs) Oh, they turned on Sting. Because I hadn't really watched in 89 or anything before that. So if you dive into WCW or NWA right in January of that year, like the Horsemen are baby faces mm-hmm. and they're fighting like uh, Gary Hart's crew, which yep. has some guy named the Dragon Master in it. Um, <laughs> you, you, you don't you don't have a frame of reference to really understand like Sting shouldn't be aligned with these dudes. Mm-hmm. But they, they still suck you in because Flair and Ole especially are such great talkers that you, you get it right away. You don't really even need the context. So what was your very first show? Was it a house show? Was it a taping or anything? Yes, I was thinking about this when I was finishing up work tonight. Mm-hmm. And my dad got me tickets to a house show in February of, I believe, 1990. Okay. So... So I was there right away, and I am trying to find those results because it is um, a terrible, it's an awful show. It is. <laughs> we we did not get the um, big shows. Okay, so you got the B shows. And, oh, I would love a B show. Are you kidding me? Wait till I find this this lineup here. This is not a B show. This is a, let's see here. So that would have been, though they came to the Wharton Field House, which was in Moline, Illinois, mm-hmm. right across the uh, Mississippi River from Davenport. Okay. Uh, which is where I lived. Okay. And this was our card. January 12th, 1990. So it was just like the week after my birthday. Um, new wrestling fan, never been to a show. And I will say that, um, you know, I was only eight years old. And when we went there, I lasted through a few matches, but just the the cheering and the lights and the sound, it was like sensory overload. So we left early, Mm -hmm. but in retrospect, I didn't miss anything. So this show started out with Earthquake defeating Paul Roma. Okay. And in our second bout, now that the crowd's warmed up, (laughs) it is Tugboat defeating Frenchie Martin. Oh, God. (laughs) <laughs> After that back and forth collision, we had another colossal jostle of Hercules defeating Tom Stone. Oh my God, the job guy, Tom Stone? 
the Tom Stone. <laughs> okay, you did get the C crew. <laughs> now, originally for this show, apparently there was a Dusty Rhodes Big Boss Man match that was scheduled. That's exciting. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, instead, we got Sapphire defeating Slick. Oh. Um, because the boss man had an injury that prevented him from competing that night. Okay. <laughs> so some intergender action. Definitely uh-huh. very um, just setting like a huge precedent for the business, like pioneering. That was followed up by the Bushwhackers defeating the Bolsheviks. Okay. Um, and then we got into the meat of the card. Uh, Rick Martel defeated Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And in your main event, the Ultimate Warrior defeated Dino Bravo. Well, at least you got Warrior there. I mean, Warrior could technically push it up to a B, a B card, but that undercard. Yeah, I don't know. They had two other shows that night. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. They ran Indiana, and that that was the Hogan crew, so that was definitely a lot better. And there was another show in Kansas. The only match listed here is, like, Ted DiBiase versus Jake Roberts. So... I don't know, but if anyone has footage of Hercules versus Tom Stone, definitely look in the track it down. Uh, <laughs> so were you hooked on wrestling figures right away, too? Yeah, 100%, because I was already, like, super into figures. Um, so it was the 80s, um, and I was doing, like, the He-Man and uh, the G.I. Joe. Okay. Like, the ones that most kids had. So are you loving Scott and- talking about G.I. Joe's? I mean, I'm not as much a G.I. Joe gal as other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would not go buy those new figures. I definitely, like, respect. So it, it's fun to hear about. It's fun to hear about, like, we're just of this age where we're getting all these, like, collector variations of things we had as kids. Mm-hmm. I can't think of another time when that's happened. But I love the G.I. Joes. Those were cool. But once I got into wrestling, the G.I. Joes became a figure-fed <laughs> um, I was into He-Man, and once I liked wrestling, the He-Men became a figure fed. Um, and then eventually, I think I was in a store one day, and I saw, and honestly, I think it was a Brutus Beefcake. Um, I think I saw a Brutus Beefcake Hasbro, mm-hmm. and maybe the Rick Rude Hasbro. Mm-hmm. And those are the first two I got. And I know that was sometime in 1990 when they came out. And from there, it's just off to the races forever. Did you go crazy when you got the Stingaloop? Um, yeah. No, the Stingaloop is like an amazing figure. Mm-hmm. It's just captures it so well. And I'm pretty sure I got it that year. I don't recall when those Galoops came out, like 90 or 91. It was, it was but, around there, yeah. But Sting was definitely always at the top of my figure fed. Um, <laughs> when you could... I do like summer daycare and the sting would come with me and you'd either take like an Arn Anderson or the Ric Flair and give him a heel to beat mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So yeah, no, that was a beautiful figure, an amazing likeness in such a, such a small form. Now, did you ever integrate wrestling figures with GI Joes or He-Man or anything like that? No, I, I get really picky about the size differential. Mm-hmm. So the He-Men were, like, the one size, and they could all wrestle each other. And the G.I. Joes were one size, and they had so much articulation in the way those, like, rubber band joints were Mm -hmm. that you could do any move with them. And so that was was a whole different, like, type of fun. But, you know, like anyone, I mixed the Galoobs and the Hasbros together because they were, like, quietly 
made to be compatible with each other. They were pretty close and very similar. I mean, obviously one moved, the other didn't. But as far as height-wise, they could integrate. So that was... A lot of people I hear were doing that with their Galoobs, and a lot of people also were making Sting their champion because everybody loved Sting. And if you go back and you watch those early WCW days, like I'm doing right now, you can hear the crowd just go insane for Sting. And not because it was a smaller crowd, but the popularity that he had was deafening. They talk about the Road Warrior pop. Sting had that in the early 90s. Yeah, no, he had this... For me, he had this charisma but he was never a jerk. And mm-hmm. I was one of those kids like around 92 with the 92 rumble. I'm like, this Hogan guy, he's not really acting on the level. <laughs> you, know, you lost fair and square, buddy. <laughs> and, but Sting would never do that. He was always on the side of good. He'd help out a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, the only people who turned on him typically were the people who were already bad. Um, Sting's actions didn't make people hate him under unlike uh, Orndorff and Hogan. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's funny going back and watching this WCW. I forgot how long Orndorff was actually in WCW at that time. It's just one of those things you put in the back of your mind and just want to forget. Just keep burying it. <laughs> he had such a long run there, and he's there till he retires, and mm-hmm. then he wrestles in like 2000 even for like one match. When you were collecting the Hasbros, did you go and get every single figure or were you only allowed to pick and choose certain ones? I think I was kind of, it was one of those situations where I could get what was available. Mm -hmm. I don't recall having like a certain amount that I was allowed to spend or anything like that. Um, We didn't get every set. I know towards the the very, very tail end, like I never saw a green card Mm -hmm. in the stores in my life. And I only saw like half the yellow cards and some of the purple cards. Up until like those later series, um, I was able to get everything that was available. My parents were super cool about it. Um, they didn't like splurge like every figure all at once. But um, by the time the Hasbros were really deep, I was kind of like only doing wrestling figures. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that makes it a little easy on parents if they're not like, I want the He-Man, I want the G.I. Joe, I want Mask. <laughs> Did you also pick up the old San Francisco toy makers? No, those are terrible. Um, <laughs> Not the no, vibrating the, ones. Um, no, I was thinking of the vibrating ones, because those were the first ones that I saw. I think I owned one. I owned one of the vibrators. You never saw the LJN-esque figures? I remember seeing them, but not a lot of them. Oh. And they didn't catch my eye at all. I don't know how I ended up with one of the vibrators. Um, <laughs> I think it was the Kevin Sullivan. Um, I think one of my friends had like a giant and a Voldemort. Um, <laughs> and we just kind of looked at him and we're like, hey, press the button. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> It was so confusing at the time. It was like, there's there's a reason they're in our hall of shame. I mean, it was pretty bad, but it was kind of like, what are we supposed to do with these things? They they vibrate. Don't get it. I mean, so, and a lot of people could actually say that about the LJNs too. They don't move. But at the same time, at least they had some, I guess you could say, playability to it. Which, yeah, the Galoob didn't move, but you can use your imagination. Correct. Um, so I would um, propose 
that the vibrators came too late. If you recall, WCW had the Chamber of Horrors match mm-hmm. in uh, 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, the finish of that, of course, is Abdullah the Butcher getting electrocuted. <laughs> and what does someone do when they're electrocuted? Obviously, they vibrate. Um, <laughs> clearly, these were meant to simulate electrocution. Mm-hmm. Um, an odd gimmick match to center a line around but who am i to judge i also always thought of it as when you're playing fire pro and you critical someone oh good point you can hit the vibrator button and they're dead so they're going into rigor mortis right there (laughs) that's an excellent excellent point yeah set redeemed out of the hall of shame (laughs) Uh, i don't think we'll go that far but okay good point good point (laughs) i'll give you that much when did you first discover independent wrestling? Because I know you love independent wrestling. I love independent wrestling. Independent wrestling's great. Isn't it so much fun? I, it's so much fun. We we had none in Iowa growing up mm-hmm. um, in the mid-90s. Um, I don't remember seeing anything. I don't remember hearing about anything. I guess if you want to call it independent wrestling, the first exposure would be ECW. Like that whole... Um, and I discovered ECW maybe like late 95 or 96 mm-hmm. in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. And so I bought a couple of uh, TV uh, VHSs of the TV show. And I was just blown away. The production was gritty. It was using real music. And I had never seen wrestling when they used real music. Because mm-hmm. I started in WWF in 89. And WCW kind of cut that out when they were acquired. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, wow, okay, and they, there's, like, no rules, and they're breaking tables, and I'd never seen that before, and who is this Sabu guy? Like, I was just captivated by, like, 95 and 96 Sabu is, like, just one of the most unique performers we've ever had. He was revolutionary. Um, back before he broke down, mm-hmm. there was this fluidity and he was doing all this dangerous stuff and it seems so out of control but he had almost this control this uh, michael cole would also always say controlled chaos about controlled frenzy about kofi kingston and with kofi it makes absolutely no sense right but that was kind of sabu like you kind of knew this guy has like in his head he's got like the next five things he's gonna do and three of them might actually hit but he's just gonna go through it and it, it was awesome mm-hmm. um and so seeing ECW was just, like, revolutionary. Did you get the very first pay-per-view? I did not. I was doing all the WCW pay-per-views at the time because I was, like, zeroed in on the NWO storyline. Okay. And I wasn't, because I was still following ECW, like, through the magazines and online. So there wasn't that, like, uh, I didn't see the run-up to want to buy the pay-per-view. Um, but I know the next day I called, um, and I don't know why I did this. I called the guy who eventually would run high spots. And this was 97 mm-hmm. when I don't know if I had found him in a magazine or through message boards, but I was buying ECW from him by then. Oh, and I had called uh, him up the next day and bless his heart. He told me what happened at the pay-per-view. We were on the phone for like a half hour. Like I <laughs> wanted to know the results. Um, <laughs> And, you know, and I'll, I'd say, okay, well, I'll, I'll buy this, that, and the other thing. Send me the VHSs. And you know, I'm like 15 or 16. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let's just call weird people on the phone, talk about wrestling, buy VHSs in the mail, you know? <laughs> Kid stuff. 
Oh man, the stuff we used to do. I remember Scott and I would call the WWF hotline because Jim Ross would always be like, I can't tell you what happened here, but you got to call the hotline because Ultimate Warrior may have shown up on something. We're like, we need to know what happened with Warrior. And so Scott and I would be on the phone for like five, 10 minutes racking up our parents' phone bill. And finally our parents got the phone bill and they're like, hey, we need to talk about this uh, WWF hotline number. We're like, what about it? And they're like, it's it's getting pricey. You spent about uh, 250 bucks. We're like, yeah. And they're like, uh, yeah, you guys need to stop. We're like, ah, all right. We used to. Oh we- my God. My, um, my grandma would let me call the hotline like once a month. Uh-huh. So I don't know what day I would call it on. Just, it'd be like a Friday or Saturday. And so I remember trying to play like the little game where it gave you choose your own adventure options. Like, <laughs> Can you beat Hulk Hogan? I'm like, yeah, sure. I know what to do. I watch wrestling. This game isn't rigged to get me to spend my money. Oh, 1990s. That was a lot of fun. So you were hooked uh, on you were hooked on ECW and WCW. Did you go in and purchase the Toy Biz figures? I love the Toy Biz figures. I know there is some contention between you and Scott about them. <laughs> and I forget which one of you likes them and which one has the wrong opinion. <laughs> Oh, well, since I never have the wrong opinion, it's Scott is the one that loves them. He lo- he absolutely loved them. And it's funny, too, because I do another show on the Lucha Central Network called Lucha Figures and Facts. The gentleman on there, the host of it, his name is Eric Arana. He's, he worked at Hasbro, and he now does the boss fight figures with Penta and Phoenix. And he um, he loved the Toy Biz figures. In fact, the our second episode, I'm not sure wh- what the official date is that it's going to drop. We talk about the Conan figure. And I, if, oh. he loved those figures and he just loved them because of uh, the articulation on them and how many points of articulation and everything. He just adored that line. But do you remember your first figure that you got from the WCW Toy Biz line? Yeah, um, I think it was the uh, white version of Scott Hall, mm-hmm. um, which is a great figure, um, maybe a little skinny in the legs, but he has the action to do the fallaway slam. Um, yep. And he has the vest. He's got the little curl in front of his head. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a cool series, and I appreciate any line where – this is your only chance to get this figure. Like, the Toy Biz line is the only time you get a Canyon figure. Good. Um, That's a good point. There is actually a customizer on Instagram who is currently doing some customs of Toy Biz figures. Oh. And he, he just did a Glacier. Whoa, who is this? Which, um, I'm going to find this right now. Because it... Well, it looks amazing. It's just unbelievable, and he's he's sculpting a mortise. Is it right? Warsman or uh, oh? I know there's a gentleman. He does custom heads, and he did a mortise one that I thought was fantastic. Jason Wolf is actually doing something similar as well, and he's killing it as well. The talent on these guys, I swear. Yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start. Like, <laughs> there needs to be a YouTube like I tutorial. Did, I did. I tried two customs i had a and this was before there was a uh a jericho but there was a um there was a gi joe figure it wasn't one of the like um four and a half inch gi joe figures this was one of those like gi joe extreme or one of those like 90s edgy 90s series mm-hmm. 
And I said, I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, in the face, this looks like Jericho. So all I need to do is get my Swiss Army knife, cut off the, like, utility pouches on his pants, <laughs> and paint it, and it will look like Chris Jericho. Sure. Good plan. <laughs> um, so I just sat there at my desk with my knife, no other planning or thinking things through, and I just started to whittle at this, and eventually the knife just slid and i sliced off a part of one of my middle fingers <gasps> oh and i'm like mom mom i'm bleeding real bad <laughs> and, and it it healed but if you shine a light on it just right you can see where i got the cut did you so that went really bad did you need stitches no luckily not, not okay luckily good not. good but i still finished the custom um I just painted it, and I wrote Lionheart on the back of the vest it came with mm-hmm. in very terrible uh, penmanship. <laughs> and from there, it was, uh, yeah, it was real good. Oh, okay, so the Instagram um, account is wrestling underscore figure underscore workshop. Okay, I, th- I think I follow him. I'm going to go double check. But, but yeah, he's doing a mortise and it looks like it's going to be amazing and the glacier was just a work of art so it's funny you mentioned custom scott tried a custom scott tried a hogan old san francisco toy makers ljn style figure and he painted it black and white for the nwo and it came out horrible and scott's like i'm never doing this again <laughs> i yeah, sometimes just slapping paint on top of paint and yeah it does just, not work it does not work did you also collect the ecw figures Yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm honestly shocked that we got them in Iowa just because I never felt like we were never the, the territory for ECW. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and I really like them. Some days I'm like, these are great figures. Mm-hmm. And other days I'm like, half these figures look terrible. <laughs> um, there's some ones if I could, like, wave a magic wand and make them better, like that Jerry Lynn. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand the the legs are very small. I don't understand the action. I don't believe if you ever make a figure of a high flyer of any kind, you don't put the legs right together. Mm -hmm. And that Shane Douglas is really weird. He's on a lot of steroids in that figure. (laughs) Um, But some of them are are really good. Um, It's a great super crazy. I love the RVDs. Mm -hmm. Um, The Sabus are really good. I think it's a really cool line. I wish it went longer. Um, same there were some weird rate repaints like tommy dreamer everybody points back to that dreamer it's just oh in the yellow shirt in the yellow shirt yeah i apologize yeah with the yellow shirt right no they should be apologizing <laughs> touche touche well don't done you remember don't you remember all the nights that tommy came to the ring in his classic yellow shirt every night <laughs> every, yeah every ecw show I... what a hulkamaniac he was <laughs> and there's there's like a couple i don't have still like the repaints but that is not don't care don't care mm-hmm. um there's i'm just looking at these right now so can you picture the balls mahoney yeah sure okay so the balls mahoney and maybe i'm the only one but his one leg his right leg is almost like the there's the pants but then the this leg is like silver all the way down to the boot and i realized maybe they're trying to like simulate a knee pad or something but I always just thought, yeah, Balls Mahoney and his robotic leg. <laughs> yeah, here he comes to the ring. He's a cyborg now. <laughs> he's, he's RoboCop. Um, he is RoboCop. He was RoboCop all along. 
Um, I think the Taz figure is like still one of the better Taz figures. Nothing against Jax. You know, Scott and I love Jax over here, but that ECW Taz figure blows the Jax ones out of the water. I always loved uh, that ECW Taz figure. It's like, it's got the, the posability mm-hmm. to do all of his suplexes. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't come with a towel around his waist um, for out of the shower Taz action. <laughs> like the Jax one. Right. But there's some I yeah, there's some I don't have. Uh Raven, the Mike Awesome, like the harder to find one, the later series I never saw. And I still am curious where that prototype roadkill went. Good question. Maybe just ended up in a box somewhere, unfortunately. Who knows? It'll it'll resurface I, someday. Yeah, I've never heard anyone step up and say, Yeah, that's in my collection, everyone. Usually people will step up and say, Hey, I've got this prototype or whatnot. That one has never seemed to resurface. Jax did come out with a best of WCW and ECW line that I was in love with. I don't know about you, but I was in love with that line. I did not get any of those because I would go like hot and cold with Jax because there's just so many of them. Mm hmm. Especially the BCAs. Um, yes. Um, I have a lot of BCAs. I got a lot of BCAs, maybe more than people should admit. <laughs> um some of these probably should go back and get I, no this isn't good um don't talk with other collectors while on ebay no i might have the spike i think i might have got the spike dudley if spike dudley was in that set maybe um sadly i i typed in jack's um best of ecw and i get a lot of like wwe ecw gotcha so the the best of was man okay it was ecw was Bubba and Devon, Stevie within the BWO shirt, and I'm missing one or two. And then the WCW line, they made Flair. They made Rey Mysterio from his Halloween Havoc 97. And, oh, I'm missing another There's one. There's an Eddie. I just found a, a lot. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. He was in the white, right? Yeah, the white and red. Yep. Kind of like the baby face attire. Yep. The, I um, I love that line and it was funny Scott actually got that for me for my birthday and I popped huge when I opened up that box he was like I don't know if you want these I was like yeah I do like I'm yelling at him but like in excitement <laughs> and he's like oh okay cool cool thanks man <laughs> yeah definitely such great no, these are real nice. that's so, very cool so you you talk about your love of independent wrestling how many wrestlers have you met because of independent wrestling Oh, okay. So, um, so the first time I went and met a bunch of wrestlers, I went to the, um, my mom, for some reason, drove me to Chicago the day before, uh, Heat Wave 99. Oh. Cause CW was doing a fan fest. Mm-hmm. Now I wasn't going to get to go to the show because that was on a Sunday and Monday was a school night. So that was not a thing that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But. I did get to go to the ECW thing, so I got to meet uh, Bill Alfonso, Joey Styles, Jerry Lynn, uh, Danny Doring and Roadkill, Just Incredible, Nova, Balls, Spike Dudley, um, ran into Bill Apter for a moment, <laughs> uh-huh. um, Axel Rotten, Cyrus, and that was really cool. And I have in my closet, I have the, the one Jerry Lynn t-shirt that ECW released. Mm-hmm. signed by Jerry Lynn and I just had everyone sign it while I was wearing it mm-hmm. so it's got eight or nine signatures some of them are fading obviously but that's one of the favorite things that I own like it's so cool and from there like I met DDP once I guess he's not an independent wrestler but 
he's an independent businessman, so we'll count that. <laughs> um, we have a pretty good scene here in Austin. Mm-hmm. At one time, we had three companies running, and so got to meet a lot of the big names on the indies just for like even like a eight by ten and a handshake. Right, because you you guys had Wrestle Circus out there. We did have Wrestle Circus for a. Wrestle Circus was here, and it was a bright, shining night. <laughs> gone, gone before its time. So, for those that don't know, Wrestle Circus was an independent promotion. And picture, and most of everyone has heard of Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Picture Pro mm-hmm. Wrestling Gorilla in the Austin scene. I would see clips all the time for wrestle circus and i was jealous of everybody in austin being able to go to wrestle circus because a lot of people ran through there uh, cage was there brian cage was always there orange cassidy was there a few times if i'm not mistaken yes uh orange cassidy was here lance archer was here mm-hmm. uh scorpio sky was one of the mainstays down here mm-hmm. um we got the uh the rascals yeah a number of times uh sammy guevara that was really like say what you will about wrestle circus and now they're gone or whatever but it was really like they gave sammy like such a an opportunity to have bigger and bigger matches Mm -hmm. that i really think that's what gave him a spotlight so they brought in like uh ricochet to work with them and one month they brought in colt cabana to work with them Mm -hmm. uh we got um shane strickland Mm -hmm. um just so many people came through here yeah. So it was cool. The shows were just ridiculously fun. I wish it was still around. One of the best live matches I ever saw. And you may be able to find it. I don't know what of their stuff has been put out for free or not mm-hmm. yet. But if anyone listening to this can find it, they did a show January of uh, 2017 or 2018, I think. And it was Phoenix uh, versus Shane Strickland versus uh, Desmond Xavier. Oh, boy. And it was one of the top five matches I've ever seen live. And I've heard that from multiple people who were there. They just did some ridiculous next-level stuff. Um, Phoenix is one of those wrestlers that you make sure you get your money's worth when you go and see him. I've seen him numerous times at AEW, all in, all out. And every single time you see him wrestle, you're like... Well, I just got my money's worth. Whatever I paid, I just got it because Phoenix would always put on a show. The talent and poise and balance that he has, um, like, I'm amazed watching mm-hmm. every time. But I'm like, mm, I don't think if my brain is actively processing how amazing this is yet. Mm-hmm. Still, mm-hmm. I just need to watch more and more and more. Like, yep. I hope he can have more chances to do single stuff in aew once things are done Mm -hmm. but we'll see we'll see i know him and penta are pretty joined at the hip but yep so are you gonna get a are you gonna get the whole first series of the aew figures i'm going to i don't have them pre-ordered yet okay um i would like to be able to find the first set out in the wild i think that would be a lot of fun Mm -hmm. um i did order the jericho bubbly figure (laughs) <laughs> nice because it's an exclusive i want to have it so i have to ask what is your favorite figure of all time okay um i'm looking back at my display case real quick do you have a huge do you have like a huge display case downstairs 
Well, I, I mean, wow. I thank you for assuming I have a downstairs. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I do have a downstairs. This has an 800 square foot apartment. It only has a downstairs because it's a loft bedroom, but thank you still. Oh, no problem. Um, yeah. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> cat, cats love it. Um, <laughs> But I do have one display case, one of those detoss from the Ikea. It was the last thing I did in civilization before the, the virus was putting it together. Um, that defining moments flare, the one that's the Rumble 92. With the black robe? Yes, the black and white robe. Yes, that one is really good. Because I remember we got a, I had friends over for a Rumble party. Mm-hmm. We got an ice cream cake that had a ring designed in the icing. Ooh. And I was the only one of my friends who was wanting Ric Flair to win. <laughs> and you got your wish. Yeah, it was a great rumble. That is just, what it, a story. It is fantastic because everything about that rumble just popped. I mean, Piper and Flair going at it. Bobby Heenan sweating in the booth. And I, I just loved it. Hogan turning, well, he, he didn't turn heel, but I pulled a heel move because he got thrown out by Sid and he acted like a baby and pulled out Sid. He'll pull Sid out. So it, it, it had everything. It just one of those rumbles that I absolutely love. I love the 94 rumble from top to bottom. I absolutely love that 94 rumble. That's one of my favorites, the 2007 rumble where it was Michaels and Taker at the end. But, oh, okay. But that... 92 Rumble just has that special feel to it and that nostalgia specialness to it. It is this encapsulated hour-long story of almost everyone in that Rumble has some sort of history with Ric Flair. Yes, good point. Greg Valentine comes down and it's like, oh, they were tag team partners a billion years ago. (laughs) Gary Von Erich, and it's like, whoa, world-class NWA title all over again. Yep. Um... It's the roster is like so filled of the ghosts of Ric Flair's past <laughs> that it's just, it's so fun. So fun. Abs- um, absolutely love it. Well, Aaron, I must go, but it was a absolute pleasure talking to you. You as well. I feel like it's a very long time coming. Uh, the podcast has been a staple in my week for many years. So I appreciate what, uh, you and Scott do every week. Thank you very much. It's, it's funny because we uh, we have listeners say that they hear from us more than they hear from their friends, <laughs> and they they hear from us and they're like, "Oh, you, they're like my real brother." And it's kind of it's kind of cool to hear that. So, but um, thank you. Uh, we appreciate how you have been listening to us for four four and a half years. Did you start an episode? I think you were in the single digits, weren't you? I think it was in the signal digits. I know I went back and like gobbled down the early episodes. So I I don't think it was too shortly after y'all started. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You've been with us for four and a half years and from Scott and I, we thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you allowing me to make my podcast debut. (laughs) Um, So no, this has been a blast. Thank you very much. It's been a joy talking to you. And we'll definitely be talking. We've got some fig- some more figures and WCW themes to talk about. <laughs> it's a whole world. Um, WCW never died in my head. They're still going on. So. <laughs> well, next week I might sing, uh, or I not sing, but I might read the lyrics to Steinerized. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one, if I if I can say, uh, when you have a moment, um, grab the lyrics for Ricky Steamboat's Family Man song. Ooh. which 
if you don't remember it. It is his theme song. It has kind of an elevator, <laughs> soft rock kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And it's about how he doesn't cheat on his wife on the well, So You're definitely giving fuel for the podcast. <laughs> it's, it's a great song, trust me, especially when you realize how messy his divorce was. <laughs> um, definitely check it out. The lyrics are absolutely amazing. That whole album is a work of genius. Um, I will definitely do that. I'm reading some lyrics for the next few weeks. Can definitely say that. Oh, thank you for this quality content. <laughs> well, Aaron, I thank you and you stay safe. And as I said, we'll be talking about horrible WCW themes here shortly. Brilliant. You too, Jeff. Stay safe. All right, Aaron. Bye. Hey, bye. What a fun time talking to Aaron and Jeff Palmacchio tonight. Just hearing their stories and their backstories and just hearing everything about their love of wrestling and wrestling figures always brings a smile to my face. So I hope you guys are staying safe. Stay indoors. Hashtag fig life. Adios. Let's go Jeff and Scott, the Tomb Brothers, busting out the ring But we don't take it out the box, M.O.C. Happy toy hunting, we'll see you next week We're the OGs of WFP Fully posable, thank you all for listening It ain't no storyline, real life siblings So everybody go and do your toy spotting Hashtag Fig Life, adios from the Kings